so they use our stuff, right? No, I mean, I, I'm sure. on radio and podcasts all the time. So are you saying right now? Okay. If you don't mind. And what's the podcast? Um, well, it's called The Black Sun, which is um, an acronym off of my, uh, my initials, um, Delvon Adaya Benson. And, um, you know, of course, the sun, you know, naturally we all are part of the sun. A lot of people don't realize that, but, you know, that is something we should be uh, honoring. Without the sun, we would not exist, you know. So uh, I definitely like to keep that in the context, let, let everybody understand that everything, if you took all the colors and put them together, you get black, you know, which is the most purest thing ever. Um, so yeah, basically with my podcast, I just kind of just randomly talk to scholars and anybody who's willing to talk back. So what's the topic today? Um, well, you were just telling me that uh, I needed to understand my true purpose in life and understand that well, not your true my, purpose, re- my research but, but and what, to, what I'm but, really but trying to do. But the focus, mm-hmm. like if you want to start, when most people when most people talk about their research. They talk about the particular thing that they're doing. So if they're a PhD, they talk about what they're, the research for their dissertation. But that really doesn't define who you are. And I always use the example when I talk to people about the fact that what if your research site or the topic you're in disappeared tomorrow? Okay? And I operate, when I do administration and leadership, I operate on the coma theory. Irma falls into a coma, what happens? But what if your research site disappeared? And it happened to a colleague of mine. He went to an area of the country. There was an earthquake. The village disappeared. Rather than leave and say, oh my goodness, my research site is gone, he stayed. And then he invented something called disaster anthropology. He studied the aftermath, right? Most people are so honed in and very specific that they could not translate their research from one point to another point. So that tells the lens that you use, and I'm trying to get people to think broader. So I study the social construction of inequality. My lens I use has been gender, the intersection of gender, race, and class. I did research in Belize. I've done research in Suriname. But broadly, my topic is much broader than just gender inequality. It is looking at how do humans shape the social construction of inequality? How does it come to be? What are the components? And if I couldn't go to Belize, I could still study it. If I didn't go to someplace else, I could still study it because it's a much larger issue than that specific thing. So when I, when I mentor and, and, and talk to graduate students, I, got them, I try to get them to see the larger and broader issue that they're really researching and not just that very narrow sort of research topic. So you're saying we should go, we should think more macro versus micro? Absolutely, because everything begins with the macro and then you hone in. I've been trying to tell people to think macro and go go micro first and work your way up. No, no, no. Well, there's a saying now, think, you know, think globally, act locally. So you think broadly, but your implementation or the conduit by which you manifest may be at a local level. But you got to think broadly because at this point, there are no boundaries. The globe is like one just big thing, and this, this new virus is an indication of that. People didn't understand when Ebola hit the United States, diseases don't respect borders. They don't say, excuse me, are you from Africa? We think we just going to stay there. Mm-mm, that's not how it works. And if you begin to understand like how germs manifest themselves, they travel. 
They cross borders. They have no respect for stuff. But we have been conditioned and socialized and trained to be so specific and subject matter experts that we can't get outside of that thinking. And yet the reality is, is that so many things cross borders, so many things are interdisciplinary, or so many things are intersected, you know, that you can't just look at one little thing and think that's it, that somehow you've solved the answer to that question or that problem. Wow. That makes sense. I mean, definitely. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about that, I mean... So back in 2000, I was a AAAS fellow. That is the American that it is the American Association for the Advancement of Science. It's one of the most prestigious, and they generally don't take non-scientists. But anthropology is both the most humanistic of the sciences and the most scientific of the humanities. So it is seen as both a social science and a science, right? So I got into this very prestigious thing, and at some point, I began to understand. You know, I was like, uh, you know, I received the magazine and I'm reading these articles and they're now talking about the way in which scientists, neuroscientists are coming together with anthropologists who are coming together with, you know, psychologists and they're all working together on this thing because they began to realize that one discipline could not possibly come up with a solution. So this integrative approach, this interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary approach is the way of the future. Definitely. There is no way that one discipline can claim to have the answer to anything. So if economists tell you they got the answer to what's happening on somewhere, they lie. Hmm. Because they're looking at numbers, but people are the people doing the action. So they need someone who understands people in there. Well, I know um, I know at Clark, Clark Atlanta, I know we, we incorporate, in our humanities department, we operate under uh, consilience. And under that understanding of consilience, we're, they were saying, what can the humanities and the social sciences do to help the natural sciences in their research endeavors? And vice versa, what can you learn? Yeah, what, what can, can you learn, learn from, learn from yeah. them? Yeah. You know, so each discipline, you know, and people have to understand that the whole notion of disciplines only came into existence in the 1800s with Harvard. Other than that, people did classical studies. They studied a little bit of everything. So they that's did why it would take you so long yeah. to get a degree. It would take well, you I don't know that it takes so long, but I remember having a conversation when I was at USAID as a diplomacy fellow, is that they had this group of people who were, um, they had fellows who were coming in from agriculture. 2000 is sort of the beginning of people recognizing that AIDS is going to be a problem. So I went to Kenya for a whole conference about local people from Africa, Kenya and other places talking about AIDS. I was in South Africa where there was a nonprofit that predicted exactly what happened in 2000. They predicted that there was going to be a flood of, of orphans because of the AIDS epidemic. Because at that point they came to understand that AIDS did not select you because you were smart or this or that. It was an equal opportunity killer. Yeah. yeah so it took the people who were the lowest of the low and it took people who were the highest of the high. Right? And if you didn't take precautions, you were vulnerable. The point is that at that moment, we didn't know what we didn't know. So one is that knowledge evolves. Knowledge is based on like what comes before it, but it's also like what we can't know until it's revealed to us or until we innovate, right? And one of the challenges, I think, is that people get into a narrow focus. My, my work, my background cuts across the humanities. 
I learned the social science without any background from the ground up. I see myself as a translational scientist because I write and I can speak. I can take the sort of concrete knowledge of scientists and I can translate it so that everyday people understand it. Right? So all the skills that I have are skills that cut across various disciplines. And for me, that's why I've been successful as an articulator of ideas, uh, a thought leader, is because I'm not, I'm not committed to one theory. Because people don't understand. Theories are not real. They're just explanatory devices. They help us understand what we can't comprehend. But they are not the truth. The truth is the, the reality, the social reality. That's what people do every day. Right? It's not the theory that we ascribe to it. And we get it twisted. We begin to think that the theory is real and people ain't doing what the theory says. Duh. <laughs> Hello? That, that makes sense, definitely. So, you know? I mean, so would you consider yourself a poor, righteous teacher? A, a poor, righteous teacher. A poor, righteous teacher. I consider myself an activist anthropologist. Okay. And that means that, you know, one is that education is not about just teaching. Education Definitely. is about information. It's about transmitting that information. And I do that in my writing, the articles that I've done. I do that in when I coach folks. I do that when I give talks. I do that in every manifestation. And I do it as a leader. Because, you know, I, I follow transformational leadership, and one of the components of that is intellectual stimulation. So if you're leading people, how do you stimulate them intellectually? That's just one of the tenets. So to me, the world is my, is my classroom. And when I write a column, that's, that's, that's teaching. If I do a blog post, that's teaching. If I tweet something, that's teaching. So one is that I'm not confined to the traditional notion that a classroom happens, one, in a university Definitely. setting. And two, that it has to have a certain kind of presentation or representation. I'm not, conf I'm not, I'm not confined to that. I mean, like I said, I definitely learned... <laughs> I definitely learned a lot about myself just now when you were telling me, asking me about beyond my research, you know, what is what is my real focus? And I definitely have to, I'm going to have to go back and really assess what I'm doing, you know, um, outside of what I'm doing with my dissertation research, you know, I... Um, What's the bigger picture? I mean, of what I want to really do? Or? Of, of who you are as a scholar. Well, What's the big picture? I am a contrarian. I, I tell people that all day. I, I like to art, I like to look at the alternative narratives, and I don't always accept what is the ma what the masses already Yeah, but that means perceived. that you're always in an oppositional stance. Oh, so I'm question, always oppositional. Yes, but the question is, what are you contributing? Yeah. Because, see, I tell people, and that was in my workshop today, uh -huh. they say, well, what do we do about the criticism if we become a, a public writer? And I say, those who can write, those who can't critique. So if you're always in the moment of critique, that means you're not True. producing. Definitely. That means you're just taking other people's Definitely. stuff, you're trashing Definitely. it. But what are you doing that's I, innovating what and what are you doing that's forward. creative? And exactly, exactly. Definitely. Because there is a place for that. But if that's all you do, then, then you are really relying upon other people's stuff. You're not generating to, anything. Exactly. You're not generating anything mm. yourself. So I'm more of a unique. destroyer than a generator. Exactly. And the question is why? And if the question is because it's easier, because I think it is, it's easier to critique than definitely. it is to actually I mean, I, create. I feel like it definitely is easier because right. they've already done so the work that and means, the exactly. so it's that just means my you, job to just come in and get Then that means that you've taken the easy route. Down. You've taken definitely. the easy route. Yeah. And that means that you deny yourself the challenge hmm. of coming up with something new. 
that will, of course, generate critique because everybody's got something to say about oh, something. Definitely. But I tell people, I don't get mad, I write. I don't listen to critiques because this is my voice. You got something different to say, you go write it. You go write it. Okay? But if your whole agenda is about tearing other people down, you think about the fact, what does it mean to be engaged in an enterprise in which all you do is destroy? That, that's your, that is not a positive thing. That is not innovative. That is not, that is not creative. That is about just being about destruction. And this world will not survive if our only approach to, to living is about destroying something. I definitely agree. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm learning and I'm definitely coming out with some new understandings, definitely. I mean, I, I've, I've always been one of those type of people. Everybody keeps telling me I need to stop being negative and start thinking positivity and bringing well, more Well, it's not even it. about positivity, so per se, because again, one of the things I tell people today is that we are trained to be binary. We're trained to think in terms of either or propositions. You know, which is a philosophical sort of, you know, syllogism. But life is more complicated. Human beings are more complicated. They do both and and either or simultaneously. You know, so both and sees that you can have, you can hold, as Einstein used to say, you can hold two opposing ideas at the same time. And that's okay. And then binary thinking is that it's an either or proposition. It's either this or that. But life we know is full of gray areas. Nothing is either discreetly this or that. Things, there are spectrums. There are things that move in certain kinds of ways. There are gray areas always. And so part of the, the, the nature of being human is that we have the capacity to think outside the box. And thinking outside the box means that you don't focus on the critique. You focus on, well, wow, what are they not saying? What did they miss? And I'll give you an example, Professor. I used to. I took a course. I'm a cultural anthropologist who went into anthropology with no coursework ever in any of the social sciences except one in political science. So I'm a literature person. I come out of the humanities, literary criticism, you know, focusing on uh, text-oriented analysis, which didn't work for me because I wanted to understand the social context. So English and I sort of part of company, even though I still engage in literary enterprise. But part of that was really trying to understand what are the basis for why we do what we do. That, that's what attracted me to anthropology, is that it was trying to answer the ultimate question, and every discipline has its question. And if you don't know what the question of religion is, then you really haven't interrogated it. Oh, the question for anthropology is what makes us human. And however it approaches it, from biological anthropology, archaeology, linguistics, and culture. It is always trying to answer the question of what makes us human, what separates us from other warm-blooded mammals. Why is it that we speak? How is it that our brain functions this way? What makes us human? Because if we can't answer that question, then we're no different from chimpanzees and you know the other species that they study that are close to us in terms of if you believe in evolution, right? But the question is, what makes us human, right? Every discipline has a fundamental question, and you have to sort of find out what that question is. And if you don't know it, then you're sort of walking, you're, you're sort of walking veiled. You don't really understand why you study what you study, right? Why do we study religion and understand belief are not facts? 
So if it's about belief, I believe in religion. I believe in God. Those are all fine, but those are not facts. Those are not facts, yes. And beliefs cannot be challenged because they have to do with internal things. They do not have anything to do with empirical facts. Nothing. I mean, that makes sense. I, I, I mean, I can say that when it comes to religion, from what I've, you know, thus far, you know, I, I definitely think that the reason why we engage in religion anyway in its own regard is to 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 give ourselves some sense of beingness or this this like you said it's answering that question of why you yes. know why 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 did why are we the only um you know species of animals that has cognitive abilities. Why? That we know that we, of. That we can, that we actually can communicate That we can with. discern Definitely. in the way that, um, so we still, we're we still using ourselves. So we're using ourselves as the point of as reference the exemplar, in the same way that white folks use Definitely. themselves as the exemplar of civilization. Definitely. I mean, that makes sense. So yeah. how is that different? Yeah. So how does religion become the only way that we can explain things? I mean, I think it's one of those things because like you said, it's it's based on opinion, and it's not based on finite evidence. Well, it's based you know? on belief. It's based on filling in beliefs, and it's not. You can't test if somebody says that God told them to do blank blank. I can't argue against that because it's, it's their belief. I can't prove that he doesn't or does exist. It's exactly. Not a, it's based on your interpretation of reality and what you think. So, is here. you as someone who is engaged in critique, why would you spend your work looking at that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 I've been have, I've been highly critical of the church itself because, me personally, I don't believe that and yet the you church do, is you study religion. Well, yeah, I, I feel like the church is more about um, the social functions and the social functions of it, and not so much of the spirituality of it. I, I think that's the reason why we're so clinging towards religion because it provides a social relevancy versus spiritual uh, cognizance. And I think that you know, if you want to be spiritual, that's different. You know, you can be spiritual. Yeah, and but not when you say you know. church, that's not what it evokes. So oh, yeah, you have course, a philosophical yes. perspective. That's more philosophy okay. than it is church. Okay. You know, so when you tell me you're studying church and mm-hmm. all religion, you're studying philosophy. I mean, those 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 are ex- esoteric questions. Those oh. are existential questions. See again. You know, what does I it mean for us pen. to be? What does it mean for <laughs> us to be human? What does it mean? You know, all of these mm-hmm. things, and those are good questions to ask. But where do you ultimately land? I mean, after you've raised all the questions, then what? And this was something a professor, a white professor of mine said. said, so Irma, you want to know the origins of African diaspora and stuff? He said, and then what? Like, what then what do that? you do? Exactly. Man, that's... I guess that's why a lot of professors and scholars burn out. I mean, or they, they uh, keep, what is it, uh, the, the same narrative going on and on and on and on because it's like they don't have anything else outside of to, to reach for. It's that's like, right. Um, again, I guess that's the reason why a lot of intellectuals don't want to solve problems because they know if they do solve the problem, they, they want to talk a job. about the problem. So I tell people <laughs> we are very good at the diagnostics. The diagnostics. Mm-hmm. We know what the problem is and we can pontificate mm-hmm. and we can extemporate and we can talk about all kinds of things. Okay, now what's the solution? Wow. And when you get to that point, that's a whole different program. That's a whole different ball game. Most people are so embedded and immersed and in some ways committed and dedicated to diagnosing the problem. They never even think about, could there be a solution? Wow. Well, I mean, I, like I said, it's about to be 20 minutes. I, know, I, mean, I didn't want to keep you that long. 
But I just wanted you to state your name and, you know, again, so everybody on, on the podcast. So this know. is Dr. Irma McLaurin. I am the uh, owner of McLaurin, Irma McLaurin Solutions, which is a uh, sole proprietary organization. I've been a tenured professor at both the University of Florida and the University of Minnesota. I've walked away from both of those. Uh, I have been a uh, program officer at the Ford Foundation. I've worked for the United States government as a senior faculty member at the Federal Executive Institute, which teaches leadership education. I'm a freelance writer uh, and a poet. Wow. Well, y'all heard it. I will definitely be speaking to her more often because I'm definitely getting her contact information. So, um, again, tune in. Uh, This is the National Council of Black Studies 2020. Um, again, there's going to be more sessions in the in the long run, so uh, stay tuned. Thank you. So you will have to upload.